Good evening, and welcome to yet another episode of The Last Knock, your friends in horror since 2013. Also part of the Strange Society Network, at StrangePodNet on Twitter for all your macabre podcasting needs. I am Johnny Num, and on another solo episode of The Last Knock, I am not going to be discussing James Wan's Malignant, even though it came out uh, yesterday, which was September 10th, and is causing quite a buzz on social media, um, among the horror community, um, though I was sharing some messages with uh, our list, one of our listeners, DM Elms, who uh, had a lot of not-so-nice things to say about this film, so I'm very interested um, at some point to see it, but I don't have HBO Max, and I don't know if I'm going to venture out to a theater to see it, especially since it's coming out to on disc in October. So I figure I can wait a month if I really have to see it. So, yes, I am not going to be talking about Malignant. Sorry, folks. Instead, I'm going to be talking about a movie that is almost 50 years old, um, Paul Morrissey's Blood for Dracula. Um, this film was released uh, by Severin uh, as one of the surprise titles at, during their... Uh, during their mid-year sale, I believe. And, uh, you know, people, as they want to do on social media, they're, they're either uh, flipping out and going crazy, saying, oh my God, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Or you're having the people who are like, well, I don't understand what the big deal is. Now go release this instead. Um, so I never quite know what to make of the of the hyperbole coming from both ends of things these days. Um, you know, I was aware of this movie um, for a long, long time. Um, it actually was, I believe, initially released under the title Andy Warhol's Dracula, um, and there was a corresponding Frankenstein film that I believe was the same year, 1974, um, which I haven't seen, but uh, Vinegar Syndrome is apparently releasing that one uh, later this year in 3D, no less. So, in any case, uh, I sit down to watch this movie, and I'm kind of uh, impressed by it, let's say. <laughs> um, a little backstory, I started watching Retribution, the Guy Magar film, which was also a part of that, I think, uh, mid-year release slate from Severin. So I'd watched half of that the night before, and I watched the other half of it last night. And then, you know, and that film's a little bit trippy in its own way. Um, so then I decided to follow that up with uh, Blood for Dracula. So I didn't quite know what a weird evening I would be having. Um, and... Yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting uh, movie, to say the least. Uh, I can 
run through the cast really quick here. The film stars Joe D'Alessandro um, as Mario, the servant for this uh, bourgeois Italian family, um, who the patriarch is uh, Il Marchese Di Fiore, played by Vittorio Di Sica, who directed The Bicycle Thieves. Um, the wife is played by Maxime McKendry, um, and this is her only credit uh, for anything uh, on the IMDb, which was surprising because I looked at her and I was like, there was something distinctive about her appearance that made me think I'd seen her before in something else. Um, so there's that. And Arno Jurging plays uh, Anton, who is Dracula's servant. And I guess I should mention Dracula himself is played by the uh, one and only Udo Kier, um, the very prolific German actor who lately has been working with uh, Lars von Trier, among others. He's still got quite an active career going. Um, so, and also you have the daughters of this uh, bourgeois family who's actually fallen on hard times. Um, we have uh, Milena Vukotic as Esmeralda, Dominique Darrell as Safiria, Stefania Cassini as Rubinia, and you've seen Stefania Cassini uh, as Sarah in the original Suspiria, and Sylvia Dionisio as Perla, and those are the sisters. And basically the plot line is uh, Dracula is aging, or he's he's getting old or he's getting weak because uh, the best blood he can subsist on is uh, virgins or virgins blood as they pronounce it in this film um, so he's on he's on a virgin hunt basically to sort of revive his revive his uh, eternal life and I believe at the beginning we see his sister going into a casket and he's supposed to, I think trying to help maintain the bloodline by bringing back the virgin like marrying the virgin and then bringing her back so they can feed off of her and uh, revive themselves something like that it's not really that important um, the film is very <laughs> very bizarre in a good way um, it's I believe I, I have my copy of Video Hound's Horror Show sitting next to me and uh, Mike Mayo, who wrote the reviews in it, um, he makes a note that the film starts off with Dracula painting his gray hair black, um, but he's looking at himself in a mirror, but, you know, obviously the vampire gives off no reflection, so it's a bit comical, and that sets the tone for this film, um, it really isn't meant to be taken seriously. Um, it's also not like a screwball comedy, so it's very... There's a very strange balance that this film uh, achieves, let's say. Because um, it could have very... Something with this type of film is you can easily go too far into humor or you can go too far into darkness and not balance the two out. This film kind of finds a strange balance. Um, and I kind of 
admired and respected it for that. Uh, I was kind of sleepy while I was watching this. Um, Johnny Numb has been uh, trying to uh, do daily exercise, and my significant other has been saying, well, you know, it might be making you more tired at night. Um, because I used to, I mean, when I was young, I could stay up to like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, these days, it's getting kind of hard to make it to midnight on a weekend, um, despite my best efforts. So I was struggling a bit while I was watching this movie, but it kept my interest so well that I was like, you know what, an hour and 43 minutes, I'm going to stick it out because it doesn't really, the pace doesn't really drag um, there's always something going on and it's usually kind of wacky and far out there. And I kind of, I kind of admired it for that. Um, you know, uh, there are interesting touches in the film, like, uh, Joe D'Alessandro, who was kind of, kind of a hunk at the time in the seventies. Uh, you know, he'd worked with Paul Morrissey on some other films as well. And uh, apparently, if this is any case, in, in the, <laughs> any indication, it was taking advantage of his sort of rugged, good looks. Um, in this film, he's often appearing with his shirt off or just completely buck naked um, while he's, you know, having his way with the with the sisters and the family in this film. Um, so I can kind of see what the hype the hype around Joe D'Alessandro. You know, he's definitely uh, quite an eyeful so it's kind of interesting the approach here is that he's kind of this marxist character who's talking about the people and the <laughs> you know saying that the castle is going to crumble you know the villa is going to crumble around the uh, the patriarch and the matriarch of the family it's it's very it's actually very funny and his accent is just very american whereas you know you have people speaking English, but in an Italian accent, because these are Italian actors, um, you know, and you have Udo Kier, of course, who I believe is German, and he's speaking with a German accent, along with uh, uh, Mr. Jürging, um, you know, who has the umlaut in his name, so I'm assuming he's German as well, so there's a bit of an odd uh, sort of a uh, dialect going on with uh, with these characters um so it all it all feels a little not quite earthbound um but it doesn't get too doesn't go too far off the rails um it even when it does go off the rails it's going off the rails in a good way um it's just kind of ironic that you know the uh the patriarch of the family is so oblivious to what his daughters are doing with the uh, hired help that he's like oh yes they are they're virgins um and at the midpoint of the film he leaves to go somewhere it doesn't really matter he just kind of exits the film and it's just the mother and the daughters and uh, joe d'alessandro and uh, dracula and his assistant so i like how uh, Dracula tries to get with, you know, tries to seduce these uh, sisters, starting off with the, there are three that are uh, of age, um, and there's one that's 14 years old. Um, so Dracula has his way, he finds ways to get alone with the, 
the older sisters. And of course, uh, it's kind of interesting what happens when he decides to um, sink his teeth into their necks and drink their supposedly virgin blood. And I guess I should warn everybody now that I'm going to go into spoiler territory with this film. So if you haven't seen it, um, I would advise doing so um, unless you want the ending ruined because I'm definitely going to be talking about that um, at some point. So in any case, uh, when Dracula has his way with the, the older daughters and, you know, sort of enthusiastically uh, nibbles on their necks and tries to drink their blood, um, an interesting green lighting effect uh, overtakes Dracula um, and he has this very visceral, violent reaction where he's like literally puking up, you know, regurgitating the blood. Um, and I must say, the uh, Udo Kier's performance um, is fascinating in that it's it's very physical. Um, the scenes where he's throwing up, there's there's two scenes where he's throwing up at least and they go on for what feels like minutes and he's like kicking his legs he's flailing his arms and he's lunging he, you know he's his head is you know his head's leaned forward and you feel like his skull is expanding to get out this fake blood um and i i, I really i really was wa watching this and i was like oh my god he's so good at this weirdly exaggerated puking fit that it make, it's making me feel sick myself. So that's, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious on one hand, but I'm like, damn, he, he really did a good job with that. So um, I, I admire Mr. Cure's uh, efforts there. Um, um, but I just think it's also interesting that uh, Joe D'Alessandro is sort of taking the thunder away from Dracula, who's, um, so, whose assistant puts him in a wheelchair to make him, I think, look more uh, pitiable or desperate. And I realize that's probably, that would not fly today. Um, but it's kind of an interesting dichotomy because you have Joe D'Alessandro, whose character is named Mar Mario, who's very handsome, very young. Obviously, he, can, he thinks he can do what he wants with uh, these girls. And meanwhile, Dracula is trying to turn on the charm and trying to be sincere in a deceptive way to get, you know, to get these ladies with him and to um, hopefully get the uh, virgin bride that he so desperately seeks. Um, so it's 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 kind of it's kind of interesting how Dracula is kind of not a cipher, but kind of. Uh, he's kind of secondary in his own story in a way. And I think that's another interesting aspect of, of uh, blood for Dracula. So, and, and I think Udo Kier is very well aware of his position in the strange hierarchy of this film, which I think lends itself to a bit of the humor that you find because Dracula, his Dracula drinks blood, but he's also a vegetarian. So, um, Maxime McKendry has to make all of these vegetarian dishes for him um, in while he's staying at the villa. And it's kind of funny because there's a moment where he's like, uh, she's saying she's making a stew or a soup. And he's like, is there garlic in the soup? 
And she's like, oh, no, I followed your directions specifically. No garlic. So it's just these little uh, funny riffs on the vampire mythos. And something else that's interesting is that um, while his Count Dracula is reactive to, to light, the film starts with him being transported in a vehicle with windows that aren't tinted over to this villa and it's broad daylight outside and he's not showing any sort of reaction to it. So I think that's kind of interesting how he'll complain about the light sometimes, but it doesn't necessarily seem to have too much of an effect on him. Um, when he's walking up to the villa at the beginning, he's just holding a hat above his head to keep the sun off. So again, not, you know, not too serious a film. It reminded me a little of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, Tim Burton's Dark Shadows. There's that scene where Barnabas is walking, uh, I forget with whom, but he's walking by the rocks down by the, the coast, and all he has on is a hat, his coat, and some dark sunglasses, and apparently that's protecting him enough from <laughs> the supposedly uh, deadly-to-vampires UV rays. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um and also, I, I'd i forgotten about this, but uh, uh, Roman Polanski has a cameo in this film. Um, it took me a second to pick up on it, but there's a scene where um, Dracula's servant Anton goes to a local pub. And, you know, I think he wants to, he's just asking for some wine. And he gets invited over by some locals to sit at their table and he plays this weird uh, mimicking game with uh, Roman Polanski's character. So it's basically everything Polanski does, uh, Anton has to mirror what he's doing. But in the end, there's like some twist, like you have something that the other character doesn't. So you win that game or you owe, owe the person something. Um, so, and it was kind of fascinating because... Uh, while I'm not a fan of this film, I could see that uh, Tarantino obviously was using this scene as a template for the uh, uh, the game they play in the basement bar in Inglorious Bastards, where you stick the uh, where people write down the name of like a celebrity or a historical figure on a card, and you stick it to your forehead, and the characters have to guess. Um, who the character is it just reminded me of that a lot um in the way it felt um so uh, obviously i like what they did in blood for dracula better um it's just another weirdly kind of strange idiosyncratic thing to just take a couple of minutes to uh devote devote a couple minutes of screen time to but it just kind of adds to the bizarre tone of the whole thing, um, you know, because it doesn't seem narratively necessary. And it's and it's not. It's basically the scene is just this lead up to this uh, incident that happens. And then we're moving on to back to the villa um, with uh, Dracula and company. Um, another interesting thing about uh, Blood for Dracula and, you know, uh, I watched rewatched this movie recently at uh, the Colonial Theater's Splatterfest event. Uh, the film Burial Ground, uh, the villa in that film is very distinctive. Um, 
you know, from the outside and from the inside. Um, so it was interesting to be watching Blood for Dracula and I'm like, okay, son of a gun. They're using the same villa that uh, Andrea Bianchi would use for a burial ground in 80 or 81. So I thought that was kind of cool too, because I'm sitting there like recognizing um, certain rooms um, in Blood for Dracula based on what they showed us in Burial Ground. So I kind of like that overlap. I actually think that's an extremely cool location. Um, just uh, a lot of corridors, a lot of interesting tap tapestries and murals on the walls, um, and just a cool setting overall. I think um, filmmakers who have used it, obviously it's been used more than once because it's such a good location with a lot of uh, options of how you can shoot um, and where you can shoot um, just because it seems so expansive so I thought that was really cool um, it gave a sense of familiarity to the film as I was watching it and I really enjoyed that um, interestingly maybe uh, the reason Maxine McKendry seemed familiar to me was because as I was watching her her mother character behave and act she just doesn't seem quite completely there um she's so she seems so fixated on whatever money or prestige they'll fall into when one of the girls marries the count that she's not concerned when uh <laughs> when mario goes ahead and uh forces himself on on the daughters when that comes to light or when he forces himself on the 14-year-old, which is a very taboo thing. Um, the interesting thing is, and I don't... <laughs> I don't approve of this per se, but from a screenwriting perspective, um, it's it's very audacious. Um, the fact that he says, well, I'm going to save you to... Uh, I believe it's... I believe... Uh, it's, it's either Esmeralda or Perla... Um, the 14-year-old daughter, he says, I'm going to save you because he wants a virgin. Um, so if you're not a virgin, he's not going to, he's going to have that bad reaction or he's going to, whatever, he's not going to want you. Um, I mean, granted, uh, Dracula turns the other daughters into kind of his zombies after he sinks his teeth into them. So in theory, the 14-year-old would still need to avoid getting bitten by the count uh just to avoid being turned into a, a zombied slave of his so in any case the ending is very interesting um <laughs> it involves uh, you know there's a really interesting moment where uh, dracula stumbles on the aftermath of uh, mario's mario's uh, deflowerment of the 14 year old and he puts himself on the marble floor and is licking the uh, uh menstrual the, the blood that's come out from uh mario forcing himself on the girl and that's another interesting <laughs> moment where uh, udo kier again kind of shows his commitment full on to his craft um, but then shortly after that I believe uh, Mario gets some sharp implement. I believe it's a sword or something and gives chase to Dracula. Um, 
kind of, he lops one arm off, then he lops another arm off. There's blood flying everywhere. Udo Kier's running around like a madman. Um, it's just so, it is so over the top in the sense that, uh, you know, I was thinking obviously of the Black Knight sequence in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And I'm not sure if that was the same year as this or if it was a little later. In any case, it's a weird case of synchronicity going on there, I think, because eventually it's like he lops off both Dracula's arms. Uh, he lops off one of Dracula's legs. There's blood geysering out of, you know, these <laughs> these holes in his body. <clears throat> and he's eventually on the ground. Um, and there's the great moment, and I always love when this happens because... I'm a fan of Skinny Puppy. I'm a fan of industrial music, um, old and new. But, uh, you know, my favorite band is Skinny Puppy and something they did back when they were in their kind of first iteration back in the 1980s was they would do a lot of sampling of horror films um, and stick it in their, their uh, songs, excuse me. So it was always cool to listen to their albums. Like I started listening to them when I was in my uh, mid-teens. I was like, where are all of these samples coming from? Of course, there were some I knew, like The Shining. Um, but, you know, still, like years later, I'm 40 now, and I'm still discovering these movies that they were pulling samples from, which is always kind of a, a, a thrill for me, um, stumbling across that just uh, by accident. So uh, there's the moment at the end where Dracula is taunting Mario. He's, he's on the ground. He's got both his arms cut off, one of his legs cut off. Joe's getting ready to cut his head off. And uh, Udo Kier hisses at him. <laughs> Fuck, what is that? What is that line? You cannot hurt me, you fool. I am not one of you. It's it's just so great. It was like one of those great uh, moments. It's also just a perfect moment in the movie because he's he's right. You know, it's, it's very obvious but very correct. He is not like he is not like them. Um, and I just kind of love how the film ends in a way that's very not abrupt, but it just kind of ends shortly after. You know, Dracula gets staked, and uh, one of the one of the sisters impales herself on the stake as well. Um, you know, ostensibly, uh, not sure what happened to Mom. Not sure what happened to the other sisters. The film just ends with uh, Joe D'Alessandro walking back to the villa and closing this huge door behind him. Um, and you know, I thought that was. I just thought that was pretty appropriate um you know this film is a film that uh, when i was a young kid walking through the aisles at blockbuster i would see the video box for this on the shelf um the film was apparently cut down by 13 minutes to secure an r rating some of some of it was probably you know what they do for american cuts of international films where they cut stuff out for pacing but apparently they cut stuff out also to get an r rating 
Um, so the video box had this image of Udo Kier just with a little blood trickling down his chin and his eyes were just like these big green staring things, um, which you do see in the movie. And it's a, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, so I have, you know, I've been interested in this film for a, a long time, you know, long before I knew really who Udo Kier was, um, you know, who Andy Warhol was even. And yeah, and even when I was a little kid, going back to when I was a little kid, um, my school library and also the local library had these, I believe they were Crustwood House books, um, which were kind of known for their black and white covers and I believe orange spines or the back, the back cover was orange. And they were just like uh, books with black and white pictures and text. And they were, they would focus in like on a specific uh, movie monster like uh, Frankenstein, Dracula. Um, there were others, probably the mummy, um, you know. But these books were something that I really loved taking out of the library when I was a little kid, mostly to look at the pictures. Um, but I remember their Frankenstein book actually had uh, images and probably some text about uh uh, Flesh for Frankenstein, a.k.a. Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, which I found kind of surprising because I believe that film was released with an X rating. So it was it was interesting. I'm assuming that the Dracula book had something about blood for Dracula. And I just thought that was interesting because those books seem to focus more on the classics, if I remember correctly. And the fact that they were bringing in, there were... Um, uh, mentioning these modern efforts, especially since they were R or X rated, I thought was kind of an interesting choice um, on their part. Um, so, you know, in summary, I think this is a great, great, uh, you know, release from Severin. It definitely kind of lived up to the hype and surprise, uh, you know, that they um, unraveled the information with before it went on sale um, so I'm glad I picked it up and it's keeping the film does kind of keep in line with uh, some of the stuff they've been releasing this year so far um, they released the Dungeon of Andy Milligan which is a fantastic box set um, some of the films are a bit on you know your mileage may vary with uh, the films but uh, it it's just very uh, interesting portrait of a really low-budget filmmaker, and I really enjoyed going through that box set because there's some real treasure in there. Um, but when I was sitting here thinking about how would I describe Blood for Dracula, um, I would say it's a film with a Hammer movie budget combined with the acting from an Andy Milligan film. And if you've seen an Andy Milligan film, I think you kind of know what I'm talking about. And I would even go so far as to say um, Udo Kier and Joe D'Alessandro are kind of like the equivalent of Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee <laughs> in those Hammer films, in that they make a kind of dynamic duo in this very strange, uh, indirect way. And I quite like that about this film. So, in any case, um, if you haven't seen Blood for Dracula, I'm not sure if it's streaming any place. Um, you could easily uh, look on Amazon um, or any streaming service of your choice to see if it's out there. Maybe Tubi. 
um, might have it with commercials. Um, but in any case, I, it's a film I would recommend you checking out. Um, and I'm looking forward to Vinegar Syndrome's release of Flesh for Frankenstein now, most definitely, um, because it features, uh, once again, Udo Kier and Joe D'Alessandro. Um, and yeah, thanks to Severn Films for releasing this. It was, it's a really nice release. Um, haven't gotten a chance to dig into the uh, special features, but there's hours of bonus material. Um, so keep, it could keep you very occupied. Um, so in any case, dear listeners, I'm sorry I didn't talk about Malignant. Um, I know that's what you really came to listen to, um, <clears throat> but that'll have to wait for a later time. Um, thank you for listening. Um, and yeah, I guess in terms of a scream out, I'll just scream out to Severn Films um, on Twitter and on Facebook uh, for just continually doing great work, um, releasing really interesting stuff. And you know, I always get something out of uh, picking up uh, picking up items from them. And you know, they're doing a lot of good work to revive, you know, European horror and even. Uh, horror in the states so you know whether it's more current or whether it's from decades ago so i really appreciate that and i know a lot of genre fans do too so thank you severin you can find me on twitter and letterboxd at johnny numb and you can also find my movie reviews at crashpalaceproductions.com because billy is a nice guy and yeah that's it Thank you. I will see you next time. Maybe with Billy. Maybe not. We'll see. Take care, everybody. Good night.